For our scripture reading this morning, we'll be reading from John 21, verses 15 through 19. The words will be on the screen. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I will read verse 15, and we will all read verse 16 together, and so on down through the passage. John 21, 15 through 19. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You may be seated. And you can open your Bibles uh, to that passage. That will be the passage we will be studying together today here in John chapter 21. Let's bow in prayer. Father, open the Word to us and show us Jesus. May He be truly manifested to us. May we get to know Him better because we see how He restored Peter to usefulness again when he was so down, so depressed. Help us, Lord, to be restored in the areas of our pain and hurt that hold us back from being all that you want us to be and doing all that you want us to do. So help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A nagging question that many Christians have is, am I worthy to serve the Lord? Am I worthy to serve the Lord? And so many Christians, born-again Christians, feel like, No, not with what I've done, not with what I struggle with, uh, not with my past, not with my pain. Uh, I don't think that I can serve the Lord. Maybe somebody else can. Uh, Maybe it's been trouble in your marriage, or maybe your kids didn't turn out the way you thought they should, or something like that, and you just feel like you have to keep your head down. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to go home to heaven. But 
you just don't feel like you could ever get up and tell anybody anything else because you just feel kind of rotten yourself. When we come to chapter 21 of the Gospel of John, I think that the Apostle Peter was feeling that way. Oh, there had been a time when he was convinced (laughs) that his love for the Lord, his courage, his insight was so superior to all those other disciples. No brag, just fact, you know. He really knew he was an eagle surrounded by turkeys. He knew it. (laughs) Think of some of the great moments. There at Caesarea Philippi, that great outcropping of rock there. When he gave that great testimony, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. He was feeling pretty good. Those other disciples, they didn't walk on the water. He had a little trouble. He walked on the water. They didn't, you know. So much so that as their three years with Christ came to the end, he knew he was better than those other guys. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'm willing to die with you. Jesus saw through his high opinion of himself. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went downhill from there. Warming his hands by a fire of coals, a young servant girl accuses him of being a follower of Jesus, and he denies it. He denies it again, and even swears and curses, and says, no, I'm not one of his disciples. And then Jesus looked at him. He wept bitterly, and knew that his best days were all behind him. Oh, he got excited when Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) Oh, what excitement. And he felt really good for Jesus, you know, but he knew that he wasn't what he thought he was. And so Peter and the other disciples, they leave Jerusalem, they go up to Galilee, and they go back to their profession. The only thing he knew to do was fishing. And uh, they go out on the Sea of Galilee where they fished at night. They still fish at night on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They used torches in those days. Now they use fluorescent lights and use the lights to draw the the, the fish to the surface and then they catch them in nets. But they had fished all night and caught nothing. Hey, they'd been there before. They come to shore and they see a man standing there on the shore. And he says, did you catch anything? You didn't catch anything, did you? How many of you have ever been a fisherman or a fisherwoman or fisher child or whatever? Don't you hate it when people say, caught anything? (laughs) Now I've been feeding worms, you know, or whatever. No, they didn't catch anything. Then he says, well, 
throw the net on the other side of the boat. They're like, we've been fishing all night. We know where the fish, now they know, Jesus knows where, he knows everything. He knows where the fish are. He even knows where the fish is that has the coin in its mouth. He's good, you know. So they cast the net on the other side. They catch 153 fish so heavy they can't even get it in the boat. So they come to shore. And, and Peter jumps out of the boat. He can't wait for the boat to get there. He jumps out of the boat and he goes ashore. And there, Jesus is cooking breakfast. I mean, this is a biblical basis for gas grills, you know, <laughs> out in the backyard. Jesus has got a coal of, of fire, a fire of coals and he's cooking bread and fish on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I remember the first time we stayed at a kibbutz on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Naf Ginnasar. If you've ever been to the Jesus boat while you were there, you've been to Naf Ginnasar. We stayed there, and I loved it because in the morning I was able to go out and walk on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and do my Bible memory work and my prayer time. And I just thought about Jesus cooking breakfast out there thought about that. What a, what a beautiful scene. You know, he, Jesus knows he's going to have to talk to Peter, but he knows it'll go better after breakfast. You ever notice that? <laughs> Do you know when most couples fight before supper? You know, everybody's just a little cranky before supper. If you're going to have a fight, have it after supper. It'll go so much better. But... <laughs> if you have to deal with a thorny subject. But Jesus knew that fellowship around the table was such a beautiful thing. There he had the Last Supper with his disciples. Here he's cooking breakfast. I mean, he's risen from the dead. He's conquered death and sin and hell, and he's cooking breakfast. You know, what a wonderful Savior. I love what it says here. It says it three times in this chapter. Look at 21 verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself. I underlined that. Jesus manifested himself. Then it says, and he manifested himself in this way. And then it sums it up in verse 14. Jesus was manifested to his disciples. You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And chapter 21 is about Jesus. It's telling us about Jesus. And we best get to know people when we see them in relationship to other people. And so we see Jesus dealing with Peter. Jesus knows Peter well. He chose him. He renamed him. (laughs) Not Simon anymore, but now Peter. The Rock. Rocky, we'd probably call him today. And yet, Rocky is on the rocks. He's he's in bad shape. He's ashamed. He's depressed. He feels worthless. He's happy for Jesus, but he knows his best days are behind him. Jesus says, uh, come and have breakfast. I love what Revelation 3.10 Pictures Jesus before the door of the church of Laodicea. The church where he's on the outside. How sad it is that Jesus is outside so many churches today. They get along fine without him. He's knocking on the door 
of this church of Laodicea that was neither hot nor cold. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And what's the next thing? And sup with him. And eat dinner with him and he with me. What a beautiful picture. Because even though there are Laodicean churches today that have denied the Christ of the Bible and the salvation by grace that it offers, he still knocks on the door of individual hearts and says, any person who will believe in me, no matter what your church background, no matter what your religious background or no religious background, I will come into your life if you will merely open the door of your heart because the latch is on the inside and only you can open that door. But he says, if you open it, I'll come in and I will have supper with you and you will have supper with me. I love it whenever I'm out in the restaurant to watch who prays before their meal. I love to encourage them. I was out waiting for my phone to get a new battery in it yesterday over at the mall and in the food court. And I noticed this couple that bowed and and prayed before they ate their Chick-fil-A. And and, and it was a pretty long prayer. It was pretty impressive. It was a long prayer. It wasn't just one of those quick ones, you know. And uh, I went over to them afterwards and I said, that was so nice to see you praying. And I said, I'm a Christian too. We had some fellowship. You know, you should always pray before you eat. Thank God for the food. And it's one of the most public things you can do in the lunchroom. You don't have to stand up on a table and say, okay, let's all bow in prayer. No, you don't have to take over. Just just quietly bow your head and pray and pray a real prayer. Thank God for your food. The Bible says that our food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. You know, if we just prayed every time we ate, just think of the prayer life we would have. You'd be praying at least three times a day. And if you count snacks too, that could really add up into a prayer life. How do we get off on that? Okay. Meanwhile, back to uh, the story. So he addresses, you know, every word that Jesus speaks is important. He says to Simon Peter, Simon. He calls him Simon, his old name, his B.C. name. Simon. His fleshly name, his human name. He goes back to his old nature and he says, Simon, Simon, son of John, or as some manuscripts say, son of Jonah. I think that's interesting. Bringing Jonah into the story. He was a son of Jonah. And the book of Jonas tells us that God gives people a second chance, doesn't he? That even when we go in the wrong direction, he has ways of bringing us back to himself. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Did you ever say that to anybody? Do you love me? Do you love me? Such a vulnerable question. In the 60s, there was a song. Anybody remember the 60s? There was a song, If You Love Me, Let Me Know. 
And if not, let me go. You know, it's like, you remember the 60s, yeah. And uh, it, it's such a vulnerable question. Have you ever asked anybody that? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's almost on the part of Jesus, it's almost a pitiful question. I mean, he is the one who, who loves Peter. He, he called him to follow him. He has died for him on the cross and shed his blood. He's risen from the dead. And then he comes with this pitiful question, do you love me? And I think Jesus comes to you with that question today. I had an assistant pastor for a number of years who whenever he got up to the pulpit, which wasn't that often because I was mostly preaching, but whenever he came up to the pulpit, he'd always say, I love the Lord. And I knew him well enough to know that it wasn't brag, it was fact. My friend Quint, he's just come to, he's pastoring a different church now out in Ohio. And I think, you know, what a great pastor he will be for that church because that man loves the Lord. He does. Do you love the Lord? It's so basic. It's so important. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he went back to Deuteronomy 6.5 and he said, here's the most important commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the first commandment, is to love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? That's the question he asks him. And if you fiddle around with the Greek words in this particular text, it's interesting because Jesus says, do you have agape love for me, that highest form of self-sacrificing love? And, and, and Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But he uses the word phileo, which means kind of family love. It means affectionate love. It means I like you. Did you ever go through any of that stuff? You know? <laughs> Do you love me? Well, I like you. You know, you say, that's not good enough. That's not marriageable. You know, that's not quite there yet, is it? Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know, I really like you. You know what that tells me? That Peter was finally getting it, that he wasn't all that he thought he was. Have you learned that you're not all that you thought you were? You know? You know, it's very important to have a reasonable assessment of yourself. It is so important to truly know the true God, the Creator, the Redeemer, to know Him correctly as He presents Himself in the Word of God. But it's also important reflect that reflection from the Word of God in the light of who He is to get to know who we are. And that takes time takes time to know who you really are. You're not who your coach tried to convince you you were. You're not who all your teachers tried to convince you. You're not, certainly not as great as your mother thought you were. You learn to make an honest assessment of yourself. And Peter is starting to get it. And then Jesus says, okay, I accept that, that you love me. As, as, as humbly as you can say that, and here's what I want you to do now. Tend my lambs. Take care of the little ones. It's interesting. Jesus speaks of those little ones who believe in me. He says it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck 
and be drowned in the depths in the sea than to cause one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble into sin. Jesus says, you watch how you deal with the children. You know, you can learn a lot about somebody by how they relate to children and how children relate to them, you know? And dogs, too, to some extent. (laughs) Yeah, the powerless ones in our society, the ones who have no power and influence, the little children. When they brought the children to Jesus, the disciples said, "You're, you're too busy for these little kids. And he said, no, no, let them come to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you've all got to become like them in order to come to me. So often we think that children have to be like us grown-ups in order to really come to God. And we, he said, no, you grown-ups need to become like children in their simple confidence and faith and love. Have you ever been loved by a child? It's a wonderful thing. It's such a pure and holy thing. I love it when children make cards for their pastor. I do. I love the cards they make for me. It's a beautiful thing. Very loving thing. Jesus says, take care of the children. I believe that one of the greatest testimonies that a church of people like this loves Jesus is that they take good care of the children. They have their best people teaching the children. They have the best curriculum they can get for them. They give of themselves. This church has a testimony of its ministry to children in the Sunday school, in Awana, in the uh, Upward Sports Program. I see the people of this church giving themselves, investing themselves in the lives of children. That's how you show that you love the Lord. He says, tend my lambs. And then he says, a second time, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo, I like you a lot. And then he says, shepherd my sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he has called men to shepherd his sheep. We call them pastors. That's what the word pastor means. It means a shepherd. A lot of churches these days have really good CEOs. And it's true that pastors do have to kind of administrate and manage some things, but I'll tell you, essentially, a pastor is a shepherd of God's sheep. With all that that entails in caring about people and caring for people and leading them in those righteous paths and then jesus does something that really grieved peter he said to him the third time simon son of john do you love me peter was grieved because he said to him the third time how many of you have ever been accused of repeating yourself (laughs) grandpa you telling that joke again we've heard that joke before we know that joke Yeah, my grandkids. I say, well, it's really important because one of these days I'm going to be dead. And I'm just, you know, repetition is the first law of learning. So, you know, I just want you to remember what grandpa always said. Okay? That's why I'm repeating myself. Actually, 
if the truth were told, it was because I forgot that I had told them before. That's <laughs> the way it is. But Peter's hurt. He's hurt. He's grieved. He's hurt. He's like, I get it. What are you telling me three times for? What's with this three times, Jesus? And then I think the light bulb must have come on. Oh. A fire of coals. Three denials. And now three restorations. You see, Jesus was restoring Peter. He was bringing him back. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then serve me. If you love me, you will serve me. And then Jesus introduces Peter to his personally tailored retirement program. Do you see that? The next section here. He says, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. How many of you are still doing that? Okay, good. Most of you look like you girded yourself and and you were able to walk in here. That's a real blessing. You know, every time I walk out of a nursing home, I say, thank you, Lord. Because there are people younger than me in this place and they don't walk out. They stay, you know, something to be thankful for. And he says, Peter, you know, you're used to putting your pants on and putting your shirt on and going wherever you want to go. But there's going to time, you're going to live long enough that there's going to come a time when that won't happen anymore. What will happen is you'll stretch out your hands and you'll put on the stretch pants. You know, you'll put on, they won't be the belt, you know, you'll, you'll be wearing the sweats, you know, or whatever they had in those days, I don't know. And other people are going to dress you, and then they're going to take you places you don't want to go. Hey, you know there's one place I don't want to go, that's a nursing home. I told my friends one day, I said, you know, one of the reasons I ride a motorcycle is that I don't want to die in a nursing home. <laughs> but I said, you know, if I, if I get to be 90 and my wife's gone and it's just me, here's my plan. I want to get 10,000 gospel tracts in a- Arabic and I want to get a one-way ticket to Iran. And I want to hand them out until they kill me. That's what I wanted. That's how I want to go. I don't know. That, that's probably not going to be. But, you know, I mean, some of us, we look at nursing homes and we say, I'll kill myself first. You know, I'm not going in there. That's, you know, that is not where I want to go. My mother had to be in a nursing home. She was in a nursing home for 10 years. I saw her every day when I was in town. But you know what? She was content there. And it was not unusual for me to go into that home every afternoon. And often she would be holding hands with one of the employees and praying with them. A young man that she had been praying for came to know Christ as his Savior. I had the privilege of discipling him and baptizing him, see him go on with the Lord. My mom led him to the Lord. He was a volunteer in the nursing home. He needed somebody to talk to. And my mom was always good. She was a good listener, and she'd always point people to Jesus. She had a ministry 
in the nursing home. My grandfather, when he went in the nursing home, uh, he was kind of technological. This was back in the 60s. He got a reel-to-reel, no, it was a, no, it was a cassette tape recorder. And he got tapes of my messages and my dad's messages. And he would take our sermons around to people in the nursing home and play them for them in their room because he had plenty of time to do that. In his little town, he would call everybody on their birthday and give them a Bible verse. He had a ministry right out of his nursing home room. A friend of mine had no intention of having a prison ministry. He was giving out tracts at 4 o'clock in the morning in Istanbul, Turkey, and putting them under doors when he got arrested and put in jail for three months in a Turkish prison. And it's not very nice in a Turkish prison. But God gave him a 24-7 prison ministry. God delivered him, and now he's working with Roma, gypsy people in Eastern Europe. But he had a ministry in the prison. You know, there's people in jail that need help. There's people in nursing homes that need help. And perhaps God is going to call you to such a place to be a light for him. And God was telling Peter, he was telling him, he said, I'm in charge of your retirement. You might think you're in charge because you've got a bazillion dollars in the bank and you can do anything. But I'll tell you what, I want to tell you, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, he has a plan for the ending of your life. He has a plan for the death by which you will glorify God. Maybe it'll be in a car wreck. Maybe it'll be in a nursing home. Maybe it'll be at home in the care of your family. I don't know what your future is like, but Jesus knows, and He has a plan for you by which you can glorify God in your life and in your death. History tells us that the day came when the Apostle Peter was taken out to be crucified like his Lord persecuted for the Christian faith, which was spreading throughout the world at that time. And they took Peter to be crucified, and they were going to put him on the cross, and he said, no, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And they did. Most of these disciples died a violent death because they glorified God to their last breath. Do you love me? Shepherd my sheep, tend my lambs, and follow me. Do you see what sums it all up at the end of verse 19? When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. What did Jesus say? If you will be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Why? Because he has a plan for your life. It is a better plan than any retirement planner that wants fees off your money can make for you. Okay? He has a retirement plan. And if you yield to him, your life will glorify him, not just in your working days, but in your retirement days, you can be one who can glorify him. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Peter wasn't sure he could do it. But I want to tell you, we we can love him. We can have agape love for him. He can put that in our hearts. Why? We love him because 
He first loved us. Concentrate on what He has done in love for you, and you will love Him back. You can reflect that love. You can love Him. You can tend His sheep. You can care for His lambs. And if you want to love Jesus, He's in heaven, but the little children are here. The people that need Jesus are here. Love them to Jesus. Love is the ultimate apologetic. And we can follow Him because He has a plan for our lives. Has the devil got you down? Has he got you depressed? Has he got you hating yourself? Concentrating on yourself? Is everything reminding you of your failures and your sins and your faults? Come to Jesus. He loves you. And He has called you to serve Him. And if you are a person who has been cleansed by His blood, filled with His Spirit, and humbly trusting in the Lord to use you, He can use you in mighty ways. You know, the rest of the story is when you come to the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the church, God chose one of those remaining 11 disciples to be the preacher that day on the day of Pentecost, just weeks after this event. And who was it? None other than Peter. You know, if I was choosing a preacher for that day, I would have picked maybe one of those squeaky clean disciples that we don't know anything bad about. There's plenty of them, you know. But no, the Holy Spirit chose Peter. Because Peter was a man who knew the Lord, he knew himself, and he loved the Lord in a humble and sweet, submissive way. And when he got up there and preached the Gospel, 3,000 Jewish people from all over the world came to believe in Christ. And the church was begun. And a movement began there in Jerusalem that spread to the whole known world and eventually conquered the Roman Empire. And now there are disciples of Jesus in every country on earth. There are people gathered as we are to praise and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell Him how much we love Him. Early on in their discipleship, Jesus called them to be fishers of men. That's evangelism. Here the second call is to be shepherds of His sheep. And those are the two great tasks of the church. Evangelism and edification. Fishing and shepherding. And God has work for you and I to do. So, the question is, am I worthy to serve the Lord? Yes, if I've been washed in His blood, filled with His Spirit, and dedicated to His cause. Let's bow in prayer. Has God been dealing with you today about something in your life that's been keeping you from serving the Lord wholeheartedly? What's holding you back? What's in your way? Would you give it to Him? Just give it to Him. Say, Lord, would You cleanse that out of my life? Would You fill me with Your Holy Spirit? And would You use me in Your service? Would You dedicate Yourself to the Lord today? 
you will be amazed at the joy, the peace, the love, the work that He will do in your life. Would you love to have a personal revival of spiritual life? Just yield to Him. Pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord, cleanse me by Your blood. Fill me with Your Spirit. And use me for Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And at this time, our deacon of the day, Hal Johnson, is going to come and close our service in prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pause to reflect on your holiness and for the privilege and the honor to be able to worship with you today. Your mercies are far exceeding what our minds can ever comprehend. We continue to pray for our pastoral search committee. We pray, Lord, that you will reveal to them who you have prepared for us. Lord, we pray as we go from this place that you will direct us into the paths that would please you and that would take us to someone who needs the saving grace of Jesus. Keep us mindful as to who we are as Christians, Lord, so as not to make another man stumble. We pray today for our mission of the week, Michael Zinn and the Chosen People Ministries. Uh, Chosen People Ministries exist to preach the gospel of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people throughout the world and to evangelize and discipline them. Now may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ go with us all. In Jesus' name.